every word out of the bird's mouth was rude, obnoxious, and laced with profanity. John tried and tried to change the bird's attitude by consistently saying only polite words, by playing soft music, and anything else he could think of to clean up the bird's vocabulary. Finally, John was fed up, and he yelled at the parrot, but the parrot just yelled back. So John shook the parrot, and, and the parrot got even angrier and even ruder. John, in his desperation, threw up his hands, grabbed the bird, and put him in the freezer. Well, for a few minutes, the parrot squawked and kicked and screamed. Then suddenly, there was total quiet. Not a peep was heard for over a minute. Fearing that he'd hurt the parrot, John quickly opened the door to the freezer. The parrot calmly stepped out onto John's arm and said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I'm sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions, and I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. Well, John was stunned at the change in the bird's attitude. He was about to ask the parrot what had made such a dramatic change in his behavior when the bird continued, may I ask what the turkey did? Yes, well, it is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is coming up, and it's that time when our country observes a special day to give thanks for all of our blessings, and Thanksgiving is actually a central part of our text today, so I encourage you to turn to Philippians 4.4 if you have your Bible or on your device, or you can follow along on the screen because all the words will be up there, so... We're looking at Philippians. We've been looking in Philippians for our last uh, three messages. We covered joy through adversity, joy through unity, and joy through knowing Christ. So today we're going to pick it up in Philippians 4.4 and continue our look at, at joy and how God is working joy in our lives in every situation. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, as we looked at the, at the first three chapters of Philippians and a bit of the fourth chapter, we saw Paul address various situ situations that were going on in the Philippian church. And now here in verse 4, Paul begins to close his letter. As he does toward the end of many of his other letters in the New Testament, Paul, in this section, gives a number of directives or commands for the people in the church to follow. So first of all, as we have seen throughout the book of Philippians, in verse 4, we again see this rejoicing motif, this, this idea of rejoicing. We see that, that laced throughout um, Philippians. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And he feels it's so important that he says it again. And again, I say rejoice. This reflects his belief that the Christian life should be a joyful one in spite of your circumstances. Now, he wasn't talking about like these ecstatic feelings of happiness that sometimes we get when something amazing happens in our life or we have some awesome experience. No, he was, he was talking about this deep contentment that has its foundation in a belief that God is working in every circumstance and will be there in every situation. This joy doesn't go away just because something bad happens, right? Instead, it, it underlies the believer's entire life. It's not like happiness that comes and goes and, you know, sometimes we're happy, sometimes not. No, it's this underlying contentment, this joy that pervades our whole life. So he, 
That's his first directive to believers. Rejoice. Continue to rejoice. And then his next directive is, let your gentleness be evident to all. Paul seems to be saying that Christians who have this, this joy in their life should make that joy clear in their life by their gentle, patient actions with others. As we talked about in, in our previous weeks, this was important for the Philippians in reference to two particular situations that were going on in the church, right? First, there were people in Philippi who were opposing them and making their life difficult. They were being persecuted for their faith by, by people that, you know, that, the, that were under the direction of the Roman Empire. So that was the first situation where they needed this gentleness and this patient actions toward others. And then the other one was that there was some, some matter of contention that was going on in the church, right? We talked about that last week, this disagreement that was happening. And so... Paul is encouraging them to exhibit this gentleness and patience toward those outside of their body as well as to each other inside of their body. And when Paul says the Lord is near, he may be saying that God's presence is always with us or he may be talking about Lord's, the Lord's second coming when Jesus is coming back or possibly he was talking about both of those things. But either way, Paul believes that knowing the Lord is near should be a key motivation for this directive that he is giving to, to have this gentleness towards others. His next directive is to not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving to present your request to God. Paul is telling the Philippians not to give in to anxious thoughts because dwelling on them robs them of their joy that God wants them to have. So instead, Paul says to offer in prayer their petitions, those requests, those specific needs. And I think it's really interesting, right at the heart of that verse is thanksgiving, right? This, this concept of thanksgiving. And that idea of thanksgiving is a backdrop, he says, for presenting our requests to him. So we should actually present our requests with thankfulness, with, with thanksgiving. I know, I know that idea impacts my personal prayer time and how I, I usually pray. I, I often begin my daily prayer time with two things. Uh, one is worshiping and praising God just for who he is, for the things he's done, for you know, his, his power, his awesomeness. And the other thing is, is, is I thank God. So prayers of thankfulness. I just go through a bunch of things that I thank God for. Everything from creating me and saving me and, and you know, blessing me, giving me an amazing wife and kids, to giving me, you know, plenty of food to eat and clothes to wear and, and shelter. There's just so many things that goes on and on, all these things that I can thank God for. And I think that's one of the things Paul's saying here is we need to have that backdrop of thanksgiving in our prayer life. And also, that, that having that thanksgiving, in a sense, begets generosity from God, right? When we are thankful to God, God wants to be generous to us. He wants to answer our requests. He wants to answer our petitions. So thanksgiving is really an important part of that. And that brings up our big idea for today's message. It's going to be on screen right now. The key to joyful living is thanksgiving. Key to joyful living is thanksgiving. That is, there's probably other keys we could say, so I'm not want to say that's the only key, but one of the primary ways that we can live a life of joy is having that concept of gratitude, that concept of thanksgiving in our lives all the time. 
Paul goes on to say that praying in this way leads to the peace of God which transcends or surpasses all human understanding. That is, it totally transcends our normal human way of perceiving the world. So this peace he's talking about may be both internal peace, so having a peace inside that regardless of the anxious situations that are going on, God gives us this peace to know it's going to be okay, he's with us. And he also may have been talking about external peace, as in peaceful relations with the people around us. Because as we know, that was an issue that was going on in the Philippian church. They were having some disagreement, some disunity. And so he's saying that, you know, having this backdrop of thankfulness gives us peace inside and it gives us peace outside in our relationships with others. We also see that Paul again uses some military terminology here in saying that that peace will guard the Philippians' hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That, that word in the original language, guard, alludes to mounting a guard as a sentinel. So the idea is that as the Philippians adopt this position of not giving into anxiety and anxious thoughts, but instead offer up their petitions with a backdrop of thanksgiving, God will give them this peace that guards them in the middle of these challenging situations in which they were finding themselves, this persecution that they were undergoing. We're going to go on to Philippians 4, 8, and 9. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. In saying finally here, he starts this it seems like some, have you ever noticed sometimes in the end of Paul's letters, like it seems like he's saying finally about three times. It's kind of like, kind of like the preacher who keeps on saying, in conclusion, five minutes later, and to sum things up. No. So yeah, that's kind of, kind of what Paul's doing here. But he's saying finally, as, as in he's ending this section of giving these different commands to them. Finally, do this. So We're not going to spend time breaking down every word in these verses. We could talk about what true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable is. But the the idea and connotation of those words is moral purity and excellence. So it's this concept of, of putting our minds on things that are pure, that are good, things that are God honoring. And Paul says, Paul says that's something we need to do. We need to set our minds to that positive mindset, to that, that mindset of what is good. Have you ever noticed, isn't it so easy to focus on things that are not good, on the things that are kind of going wrong, or, you know, we kind of we get bent out of shape about this little thing, and, you know, this, this goes on, and, you know, we kind of put our focus on that, and it starts consuming our thoughts and our attention. But Paul is saying, you know, don't do that. Instead, set your minds on what is good, on what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. That's what's going to build you up. That's what's going to make, make your life better. That's what's going to help you to be the best that you can be. Paul then, then moves on from right thinking to right doing. He exhorts the, behaviors, the believers to follow the things they have seen in him and learned from him and put them into practice. And it brings to mind James 1.22, you know, where, Paul, where um, James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's why I usually like to emphasize taking a specific action at the end of my messages, because I think, 
If we just listen to God's word, we just hear messages, whether it's reading the Bible or coming to the church and hearing, hearing a preacher speak, if we just listen and then we don't really do anything about it, it's pointless, right? I mean, what, what are we doing that for? In fact, it's actually counterproductive because we are accountable for how we respond to the teaching God brings into our lives, right? We're, we're accountable for what God is calling us to do. So we're only fooling ourselves and showing that we don't really take our faith seriously if we just listen to messages week after week and say, oh yeah, that's nice, and then go on and our life is unaffected. So our goal, at com- one of our goals coming to church, of course, part of it is to praise and worship God. Part of it is to, you know, be with other people and just enjoy the presence of other people and fellowship with other believers. But part of it is also that we should come away challenged every week to, to transform our lives in some, some way, right? The Christian journey is never one of like, I've got it all together, I'm good, yep, okay, understand that. I pretty much got it all now. I'm just gonna come and sit back and listen and pray for other people to get it. No, it's really this ongoing journey that God is always wanting to continue to bring transformation in our lives. And that transformation then flows out of us and impacts other people around us and transforms other people. So it's, it's an ongoing thing. So we need to, as Paul says, Paul was really confident that the things that he was telling them and the example of his life was something that they needed to follow. I don't know about you, but that's a challenge to me. You know, I, I don't know that I'm quite there yet to say like, Paul, hey, just look at my life and follow what I'm doing and, you're gonna, and, and that's, that's gonna be good, that's gonna be God. I wish I could say that in every area of my life, but I, I'm still on the journey, folks. I'm still, I'm still trying to get it myself. And one of the realities is that when we're up here preaching, we're preaching to ourselves, right? I know that's, that's the case with me. Every time that I look at a message, it's like God is challenging me and saying, you know, how is this going to impact your life, Jeff? How, is, how does your life need to transform as a result of this message? So I hope we're all in that same place that when we come to, come to church, that's our goal. I want to be better. I want to transform. I want to continue growing. Let's move on to Philippians 4.10 to 20. Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you, set my, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In this section of his letter, Paul turns his attention to expressing appreciation to the Philippians for the gifts that they had sent him. 
Paul had just been talking about the importance of thanksgiving, right, in that last section, and now he is actually expressing his thanks to the Philippians. To say that prisoners were not well cared for at this time period in history would be a vast understatement. Often they were given little to nothing, and they were responsible for providing for their own needs, which is pretty hard when you're in prison, right? Unless you have some people that are, are going to help you and, and bring bring food and bring the necessities that you need to you. So when the Philippians heard about Paul's situation, they sent him some gifts through Epaphroditus. Those gifts, you know, may have included like food, clothing, maybe blankets, and just necessities that would help Paul survive. So they sent these, these things through Epaphroditus, a member of their church. And Paul, Paul also talks about other times where they had aided him in his ministry in the past, such as when he was in Thessalonica. And in pointing out that they were the only church who had done so, Paul underscores the special relationship that he had with the Philippians. They were very dear to him, very, very important to him, and, and Paul was dear to them as well. One really important point that Paul makes in this section that is that he learned to be content in every situation, whether he had plenty or whether he's in want. He says he's learned the secret to this contentment, contentment, which seems to be this. The secret is that he trusted God in every situation and adopted the mentality that he can do everything through Christ's strength. Considering some of the extreme situations that Paul had faced, that was really saying something, right? Because we know Paul had experienced beatings, whippings, stoning, imprisonments, shipwrecks, hunger. He had so many challenging situations in his life that I think we can't even begin to really comprehend or relate with, right? I mean, we live such lives of com comparative ease and comfort to what Paul went through. It's hard to even fathom all these things that he had gone through. And so, I mean, if anybody you would think would say, have the right to say, yeah, things are rough and it's, it's, sometimes it's just hard. No, instead Paul says, I've learned to be content in every situation. No matter what happens, I know that I can trust God knowing that I can do everything through Christ's strength, even get through these difficult times that I've gone through. What a challenge for us, Right? I mean, we who, who sometimes get bummed out because we can't have the latest piece of technology or we can't get that new car we wanted or we have some little adverse situation that goes in our life. First world problems, right? It's so easiest for us to, you know, get bummed out or consumed by those things or discouraged by those things. And yet here's Paul saying, I've learned to be content in every situation. And he's gone through all of these you know, hardships and difficulties. What a challenge for us to trust God in every circumstance and believe that we can do everything through God who gives us strength. Paul tells the Philippians that now he's amply, amply supplied. He tells them that he did not desire their gifts, but he desired what could be credited to their account, meaning their divine account. So kind of the idea is that by, by giving to Paul and doing, doing this in this way, they're kind of laying up for themselves treasures in heaven, right? They're laying something up that, that God is going to bless them with. And Paul says, as an illustration of this, he gives this visual picture of what their gifts are like from God's perspective, from a divine perspective. He says they're a fragrant offering. 
And that's the same word used of the Levitical sacrifices in the Old Testament. So the picture here is of this, is of this fragrant offering that's offered and that it wafts up to God and that it blesses God. It actually does something that, that pleases God and makes him, makes him pleased with us. So Paul tells the Philippians that as a result of their generosity, God will meet all their needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You know, there's an old saying, I'm sure many of you have heard it, you can't outgive God, right? God has all of the earth's resources available to him, right? I mean, he created everything. So it's not like he needs the stuff that we give to him. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need anything. But he gives us the opportunity to partner with him in giving. And that's what the Philippians were doing here. They partnered with Paul in giving to him and supplying our needs. And in the same way, Paul gives us all that opportunity. I, God gives all of us, I should say, that opportunity. He gives us the ability to give something back that God has given to us to bless the church, to bless his working around the world, and, and, and to do great things. So, Again, Proverbs 11.25, I mentioned this during the offering, says the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And that's what Paul is saying will happen for the Philippians here as a result of what they've done. So we're going to wrap up the, the look at the scripture by, by looking at these last three verses. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here, here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul closes the letter of Philippians with this standard greeting. You'll see this. This is really common in letters of, at, the, at this stage of history in the Greco-Roman Empire. And Paul um, generally ends his letters with this type of a greeting. And his greeting, greetings generally have these three parts. First of all, a directive to greet all of the saints that are in the church. So he's telling those who are reading the letter and looking at the letter, make sure that you greet everybody in the church. And usually those letters were read to the church. So in a sense, Paul was saying, I greet all of you by doing that. And then Paul sends greetings from his immediate companions, those who are with him. That's the second part of the greeting. And then the third part is greet, he sends greetings from believers in his present location. So others... <clears throat> that are not just his present companions, but people like in the city where he is at at the time. So the one, the one really significant thing here is that Paul mentions that there are people from Caesar's household who give their greetings, right? This would seem to indicate that Paul had witnessed to some of these people who may have been soldiers, slaves, or even relatives of Caesar, and that they had become followers of Christ. So again, this showed that God was at work even in the difficult circumstances of Paul's imprisonment because as we talked about, Paul was in prison at this time. That had to be encouragement to the Philippian believers who were also receiving opposition from the Roman Empire. Now they're able to see that Christ was even making inroads at the very heart of the empire in Caesar's household. What an amazing encouragement for them. And then Paul signs off his letter with a standard grace benediction, which he uses in all of his letters. Grace bookends the letter of Philippians as Paul begins a letter with a prayer for Christ's grace and peace to be given to them. And then he ends it by praying for Christ's grace to be given to them. All right, so now, so what? This is the part of the message where we say, okay, what, what does it matter to me? Why, why, is, why is this significant? What, what is God trying to teach me here in these lives? So in my life. So again, the big idea, the key to joyful living is thanksgiving. 
I want to just talk briefly about some, some application points here. How can we live a joyful life? How can we put this into practice so that we are living out this joy in our lives regularly? So the first point is make thanksgiving a daily practice. Make thanksgiving a daily practice. As we talked about, thanksgiving is at the heart of Paul's letter to the Philippians. He expresses his thanks to God for the Philippians at the beginning of the letter. Then he expresses his thanks to the Philippians in, in various ways throughout the letter. And he implores them to express their thanks to God as a part of their prayers of petition, as we just talked about today. Did you know, we talked about this a little bit in the first message that I did in this series but there's numerous studies have been done that show that expressing gratitude increases your happiness and well-being and has a positive effect on others and even has a positive effect on our brains. When we express thanksgiving, it actually, in a sense, rewires our brain to, to think more positively and to look, look on life more positively. Thanksgiving is actually a healthy thing to do. So with that in mind, our first action point is to make Thanksgiving a daily practice. It's great that we have an official day for Thanksgiving, right? I mean, it's, that's an, an awesome holiday, one of my favorite holidays. And hopefully all of us as part of that holiday, we take time to, to give thanks for all the things that God's doing in our lives. I know a lot of times in our family, we'll sit around the Thanksgiving dinner table and, and we'll, we'll tell about what we're thankful for that you know, God's done in our lives and what we're thankful for the other people on the, around the table. So Thanksgiving is, is cool to have that, that, great, that great one day of the year where we do that. But Thanksgiving should be a daily part of our life, right? So, so how can we do that? Well, here's just a few suggestions. One is um, a gratitude journal. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, but that's just a great way to every day record something you're thankful for. And that's, that's a good way of just setting your mind in, uh, you know, into that, that positive framework of being thankful. Um, you can do it like I do it online as part of a computer journal or you can have a handwritten journal or it could even just even be a pace, piece of paper where you just write something you're thankful for every day. But that's a great way to do it. Another thing is use Thanksgiving in your daily prayer life. As I talked about, that's kind of a, def, a definite part of my prayer time is just thanking God for all the things he's done for me. Another, another way we can do it is write notes of gratitude to others. Uh, we talked about a, a few weeks ago, that's one of the most powerful um, studies shown that that's one of the most powerful ways that we can raise other people's joy level is by actually writing a note of thanksgiving to them, a note that just says, hey, thank you for what you, you are, who you are in my life and what you're doing in my life. So that's, that's a powerful way. We can verbally thank others and express appreciation to them for things they've done for us, right? Or for the good qualities that we notice in them. So just daily saying thankful things to people is a great way. And finally, one, one thing is, I, I was, as I was uh, studying for this message and looking at a Christian website, I actually came upon this 30-day uh, gratitude prayer guide that I found on the internet, and it was a free thing. And I looked through it, and it's really cool. Just, it's a kind of a, something to, in each day to remember in prayer, thankfully for. Um, if you're interested in that, email me. Um, I'll give you my address right now. It's Jeff S. Miles. Jeff S. Smiles or Jeff Smiles, if that works for you, at Outlook.com. Jeff Smiles at Outlook.com. And that, I'll, I'll be happy to forward that prayer guide on to you. It's a pretty cool thing. So those are just a few ideas of how we can uh, make Thanksgiving a daily practice in our life. 
Our second application point is replace anxious thoughts with thankful, faith-filled prayers. Paul said, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, so often, don't we want to kind of just hold on to and kind of coddle our anxious thoughts? You know, nice anxious thought. Yes, I want to think about you and I'll put, a special, put you in a special place in my heart so that I can just think about you all the time throughout the day. Isn't that ridiculous? That's ridiculous, right? I mean, none of us would intentionally do that. But that's kind of what we do, isn't it? That's, that's, in a sense, what we do. We just continue to rehash this anxious thought again and again of this stressful situation or whatever it is in our life. Instead, how much better to like do what Paul's saying here, right? To, to give those anxious thoughts to the Lord and say, hey, God, this situation is overwhelming for me or it's stressful or it's causing me anxiety and I don't really know what to do with it. So I'm just giving it to you right now. I'm thankful for you for everything you're doing in my life. So that backdrop of thanksgiving. And I just want to give this situation to you. And I'm trusting you and believing you that you're going to take care of it. And I'm not going to continue to rehash it and continue to worry and stress over it. I want to give it to you. What a great thing to do. I know sometimes it's easier to say than, than do. And even Paul, I don't think, totally had this mastered. Because I remember in first in uh, 2 Corinthians where he talked about all the trials and things he'd gone through and he says on top of this I have the daily pressure of remember uh, uh, of you know kind of having anxious thoughts about what's going on in the churches and what 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 God is doing there and are they are they you know getting misled by false teachers or you know are they having disagreements so even Paul you know, had some anxious thoughts and didn't have total mastery of this. But the idea is to try to submit those things to God and, and give them to God and let God take care of them instead of us stressing over them. So when you feel those anxious thoughts coming to your mind, replace them with thankful thoughts and submit them to God in prayer. And Paul says, the result, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if, you're, if you need peace, you're looking for peace, do that. Replace those anxious thoughts with thankful, faith-filled prayers. Third, set your mind on good things. In Philippians 4.8, Paul gives us some powerful advice. He says, set your mind on all these good things, all these good things he's talking about. Again, there's numerous studies that show the power of positivity. Just one example is from research by uh, Johns Hopkins expert Lisa R. Yannick and her colleagues. They found that people with a family history of heart disease who also had a positive outlook were one-third less likely to have a heart attack or other cardiovascular event within the next 5 to 25 years than those who had a more negative outlook. They also found that even in people from the general population, you know, those who didn't necessarily have a history in their family, those with a positive outlook were 13% less likely than their negative counterparts to have a heart attack or other coronary event. So setting our mind on good things not only has positive spiritual implications, positive mental implications, but it has positive health implications for our physical body. Having having a positive frame of mind is just such an important thing in our life. And again, we see this obvious connection between thanksgiving and setting our mind on good things. The more we practice thanksgiving, the more our minds become focused on good things. 
And the reverse is also true. The more we focus on good things, the easier it is to practice thanksgiving. So a great question to ask yourself is, what am I doing on a daily basis to set my attention, my focus on good things? Things that will build me up, things will help me to be a better person. What this really comes down to is our daily habits, right? Our daily habits are what define us. So each of us should examine our daily habits to see if they're building us up or tearing us down. The very best thing that you can focus on your mind on, the absolute best thing, is Christ, right? We've seen in Philippians, Paul had this consuming focus on Christ. That was his whole, his whole everything that he was all about, was knowing Christ and accomplishing Christ's will. And because of that, because he had that singular focus on Christ, Paul probably had the greatest impact for the kingdom of God on our world of any person that's ever lived. I mean, just think about the things that Paul did in starting all these churches in, I should say, than any other person than Christ himself, right? Aside from Christ himself, Paul had this amazing impact. The, the world as we know it is, is, has this Christian presence in it today because largely of what Paul did and what God did for him as he focused on Christ singularly. So that's a challenge for us to focus on Christ. What are some ways that we can do that, set our mind on these good things? Well, some of them are the obvious things that we always talk about in our Christian faith, right? Bible reading, Bible study, memorization, praying. Those daily habits are what are going to impact our life in the most powerful way possible. So again, I, continue, I encourage you to Look at your daily practices. Look at your daily habits. Are they things that are setting your mind on Christ? Things that are good? Things that are going to make positive things happen in your life and those around you? That's what, we're go that's what we're shooting for. And our last application point, thankfully trust God in every situation. Thankfulness to God is very connected to trust in God. Paul said that he had learned the secret of contentment, to trust God in every situation, knowing that with God's help he could do all things. Paul trusted God so much that he could be thankful and content in every situation because he knew that not only was God in control, but he knew that God loved him, God cared for him, and, he, and God wanted what's best for him. And that's the same mentality we should adopt, right? If we really, really so much of, of our Christian life and journey comes down to trust, doesn't it? It comes down to, do we really believe that God is there looking out for us, that he really wants the best in our life? If we really believe that, and the Bible makes it really clear that that is the case over and over again, right? If we really believe that, then we need to let our lives reflect that, right? We need to show that we do believe and trust in God, and we need to submit every situation to him and know that he is there for us in every situation. He wants the best for us. When we adopt an attitude of thankfully trusting God in every situation, it opens the door for God to do great things through us that will help us to know him better and ultimately to bless others more. I want to close with this story. In 2008, a young Australian woman, Haley Bartholomew, found that she wasn't enjoying life. She described herself as feeling lost and stuck on a treadmill. And it was almost inexplicable. She was married to a man she loved. She had beautiful children who held her heart. So why was she feeling so down about her life? 
Haley sought the counsel of a nun who advised her to spend time each day reflecting on something for which she was grateful. Haley began a project called 365 Grateful. Every day she took a photograph of something for which she was grateful, and it changed her life because it allowed her to see things she had never noticed. Haley had always thought of her husband as unromantic. One day she took a picture of him serving up dinner, the thing that she was grateful for that day. And she noticed for the first time that the largest portion of pie was placed on her plate. She realized that the largest portion was always placed on her plate and that this was one small but profound way her husband showed his care for her. Haley had also found mothering to be a boring job. But as she took photos of her children on a day that she, that was what she was thankful for on that day, and she took photos of her children holding out their hands to her, playing, exploring, she discovered how much joy and wonder there was in the world. Through the art of gratitude, Haley found herself transformed and lifted out of her rut and began celebrating life. You know what? It's just a, a great way to wrap things up and say, thankfulness is such a powerful force in our life. It's a powerful force for joy. It's a powerful force for receiving what God has for us and for letting our life impact other people. So let's, this week, as we're in this Thanksgiving week, just continue to allow our hearts to be transformed by Thanksgiving, right? Uh, as the worship team's coming forward, you're going to see a, on your screen just a few practical action steps that we can take to put these things into practice. Today I combined it in, rather than giving you a separate card for that, I combined it on your uh, sermon guide there. And so you can see on the bottom, there's a place where you can write for yourself an action point that you can take this week based on this message. And I just encourage you to just take a minute right now and, and you can see some of those things, just some ideas for you. Start a gratitude journal, write a note of gratitude to someone, begin a 30-day gratitude prayer guide, verbally thank five people this week, replace a persistent anxious thought with a thankful prayer petition, start a daily Bible reading habit, start a daily Bible memorization habit, start a daily prayer habit, daily commit a persistent stressful situation to God in prayer. Those are just a few ideas. I also like the idea in that last story, right? Taking a picture of something every day that you're grateful for and just starting a kind of a photographic journal. That's kind of a cool way too. But I encourage you just take at least one of those ways. Remember, if you go away unchanged today, what was the point of being here, right? So take one of those things and write them down in your guide there as just a way that you can uh, make your life more thankful, more focused on thanks. Well, we're going to receive communion right now. And communion is one of the ultimate acts of thanksgiving, isn't it? It's one of the ultimate ways that we can engage thanksgiving because it reminds us of what Christ did for us. As we take the elements of the bread, it reminds us of, of Christ's body that was broken for us, that was whipped and beaten and had nails driven through it. And then was, as we take that element of, of the juice, it reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed for us, that blood that gives us forgiveness of our sins. So our ushers are gonna come forward right now and begin serving communion. Uh, I wanna, and I wanna say that we practice open communion here. So if you are a believer, you are welcome to take communion. Doesn't matter if you're a member of this church or, or, or not. If you believe in Christ and are following him, I encourage you to take communion with us. The way we're gonna do it is 
When you receive those two elements, I encourage you to hold those for a minute. So when you receive the, the bread and the cup, hold those, and then we're, we're all going to take them together um, as an act of worship together. So while the, while the worship team leads us in a song, let's just begin focusing our minds on that thankfulness that we have for God for what he did for us on the cross.